Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. So we're in John chapter 8 to see Jesus as the light of the world. So if you would please stand and join me this morning for the reading of God's word. Listen, I don't know if you're standing, okay, but this is a matter of integrity, all right? It's it's between you and the Lord and your household, okay? Uh, John chapter 8, our scripture reading comes from there, uh, beginning in verse 2. I'll read this here, and then I'll pray. It says, Now early in the morning, he, Jesus, came into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw that no one but the woman, saw no one but the woman, he said to her, "Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you?" She said, "No one, Lord." And Jesus said, "Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more." Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, "I am the light of the world." He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So this is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage this morning for us to be reminded of who you are. Uh, We ask God that you would continue to empower this time uh, with the gift of your spirit, that we might effectively communicate, that I might effectively communicate who you are, and that we might see who you are in truth. Jesus, um, Bless this time. We give it to you. Spirit, would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So as I said, this morning, we're looking at Jesus as the light of the world. The light of the world. Uh, We see it there in chapter 12. Jesus says, that's who I am. I am the light of the world. And uh, this isn't a new concept to the Bible, Uh, Right in the very first chapter of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we see the concept of light and darkness being introduced, and it becomes a theme throughout. Light symbolizing what's good and pure and hopeful and true and heavenly, and then darkness symbolizing what's corrupted, what's evil, what's broken, so much so that, that the, the gospel writer, John, in the beginning of his gospel says that when Jesus came into the world, God became a man through the person of Jesus. When Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago, the scriptures say that light was shining in the darkness. And that's the idea that we have in scripture, that when God created this world, it was a land of light. 
There wasn't any sort of viruses. There wasn't any sort of, of corruption from sin. It was just light. The scriptures say that that light was the life of man. And of course, as sin entered the picture, darkness entered. And now there's darkness. And so we see this concept that Jesus is the light that comes into the darkness. He comes to illuminate, to bring what's good, to bring what's true into what's broken. We see him making that statement here. And John loves, in the Gospel of John especially, John loves to play with these two polarities. He's constantly toying with the concept of light and dark. Even in 1 John, he kind of expounds on that further. I love in 1 John, he says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. I, I love that. There's not a single spot of darkness on God. The scriptures say in James 1 that with God there's no shadow of turning. He's, he's, he's Anakin without becoming Vader. You know what I mean? No dark side. Not a single spot. Had to throw in the Star Wars reference for you. And here's Jesus in John 8 saying the same thing about himself. I am the light of the world. I am the light that's come to shine in the darkness and guide us along to a way of life. Now, a lot of us know this concept about Jesus being the light of the world. I think what's often missed is the context that this statement is set in. It's set in in another familiar story. Jesus with this adulterous woman. I remember a few years ago studying this passage and not realizing that Jesus being the light of the world was actually connected to what he did in this story. So I want us to walk back through this passage we just read, and I want us to look at three ways that we see Jesus as the light, as a light in these verses. Three ways that we see Jesus as a light. Um, The first way, let's write this first one down, is we see Jesus in this story as a light of truth that exposes hypocrisy and brings conviction. A light of truth that exposes hypocrisy and brings conviction. We can start by by saying this, that's what light does, right? Light exposes what's being hidden. It it brings to light, that's an expression we would would often use, or it sheds a light on what's true, And that's what God's word does for us, doesn't it? It exposes what's true. It reveals reality to us, the light. There's this um, cultural norm today to bring together what God has separated with darkness and light. Um, Even the, the writer of Isaiah, Isaiah himself, he talks about a day where we would put darkness for light and light for darkness. You know, you see in Genesis that God separated the light and the darkness, didn't he? Darkness over here, light over here. Where today there's this sort of under, this common way to sort of create a gray area where we don't really have black and white. We just kind of have whatever's right or wrong for you. But Jesus has no problem being real about the light and the darkness. And in this passage, we see him with that exposing light. He's not just exposing sin in general in this passage, the truth of that and the truth of darkness, but he's exposing it in hiding. And it's hiding behind some religious people, which is interesting. 
I think a lot of times when we think about darkness and light and sin, we might think of like a certain kind of person that's not at church, right? Or, or, or doesn't believe these things that we believe. But in this context, it's the religious people that are hiding in darkness. And we see these unique religious people. They're not any old religious people. It's these scribes and the Pharisees. In their darkness, they come to Jesus with the goal set on tripping him up. Uh, at this point, the, these men are, are hell-bent on Jesus being killed. Uh, we know that, they, that they've hated him all the way back until chapter 4, where Jesus healed a man on a Sabbath, claimed that he was the Son of God, and they're not crazy about Jesus. Uh, the problem is they can't find anything wrong with Jesus. He's like, what is he doing wrong? He's like healing too many people. You know, he's loving too much. You know, they're kind of having a hard time pegging him for something. So they go, how can we stump him? How can we trip him up, ask him a really hard question, and we'll sort of shine the light on him, and we'll accuse him of some kind of darkness? And the way that they think to do this is, in a very cruel way, to take a woman that they caught in adultery, it tells us that, and throw him before Jesus as Jesus is teaching in the courts. I mean, just picture the scene. Jesus is, is teaching about the kingdom of God, and a crowd storms in. A hustle and a bustle, this rustle comes in. And there's this woman who's not even viewed as a person, not even treated as an individual, but is just like an illustration. She's nothing. And she's thrown before Jesus by these men. It tells us, verse 3, that they brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? What do you have to say about this Jesus? Now, it tells us that they were asking him because they were testing him that they might have something to accuse him. Moses does say in the law that adultery is a capital offense. And so what are you going to do, Jesus? Are you going to agree with the law and be harsh? You've been known to be pretty grace-filled. Now are you all of a sudden going to come off as this, like, this uh, you know, uh, power-tripping, like angry, law-enforcing character? Or are you going to violate the law and let her go? See, these are accusers of everyone, these guys, right? They're accusing this woman. They bring her before Jesus. They're trying to accuse Jesus now of something. And it's an interesting thing for them to be doing here uh, because in that culture, it's just some insight here, in that culture, in order for someone to be convicted of this, uh, of this act, of this crime, you needed to have two absolutely, at least two absolutely agreeable witnesses. It's kind of fishy, right? It's like this was planned. It's like maybe these men were involved. That's a good question, right? Who's the guy? This woman was caught in adultery. What about the guy? Who is the other party? So there is some real sad and broken motives behind this accusation that they're trying to bring against Jesus. And isn't Jesus amazing? Jesus the light they're trying to expose him of, of darkness, but it's like trying to shine a candle into, your, into someone's like F-150 brights, you know? It's like, good luck, right? Jesus is this light of truth that exposes their hypocrisy and brings conviction. As they're saying these things to him, notice his posture. He stoops down on the ground, it says, and he writes with his finger as though he didn't even hear them. 
he's just kind of like, anyway, would you say something? Like, he, this is amazing. I do this with my kids sometimes, to be honest. Dad, dad, I'm just like, oh, yeah. Um, but, but here's Jesus. He, in other words, he's not phased, right? He's not moved. Maybe they were trying to get a rise out of him. Maybe they were trying to scare him. But there's, there's nothing that, that faced him. And here he is on the ground. He's writing. We don't know exactly what he's writing in the ground. First of all, I just think it's cool that he is writing in the ground. Like, I, I will ask him when I get to heaven. I really want to know. Um, there's a lot of debate, uh, so many different uh, opinions. Was he actually drawing pictures? Like maybe, I don't know, Jesus stick figures? I don't know. Maybe he had like some kind of doodle skills. Um, <laughs> was, he, was he writing out the law of Moses in the ground? Um, some have, have suggested that the way that the Greek is, is, is describing this word, the word of hit, sitting down and writing, it has to do with like accusatory writing almost. He could have been writing the names of all these accusers, and maybe even their sins. We don't know. But Jesus is on the ground as they're asking this, and they're writing. But notice what he does. It tells us that as they continue to ask him, like, what do you think? Hey, Jesus, he's on the ground. It says he raised himself up, and he said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Sure. The law does say that, that this woman, because of sin, deserves capital punishment. But there does need to be two agreeable witnesses. It's almost like Jesus knows that they are conspiring here. And he goes, well, what about you guys? Do you have any part in this? Are you guilt-free? Are you perfect? Are you holy? Do you, do you have within yourself the righteousness that can execute the judgment on this woman? He who is without sin... He who is sinless, he looks at them, okay, throw the stone first. What Jesus is doing here is he's exposing their hypocrisy. He's shining the light on these condemners. Um, and it's really interesting that he does that. I, I found this too of, of my own temptations towards hypocrisy following Jesus now for over 10 years. I, I noticed that when, when we're living in hypocrisy, it's so easy to hide behind the light and project it on other people. That's actually where hypocrisy loves to hide. When I'm shining a light on you, you can't really see me, right? If I'm going around with my searchlight of accusation, and I put you in my spotlight of condemnation, I can kind of hide what's wrong with me, right? If so, if, if, I'm usually ta- if we're talking about all the things that are wrong with everyone else, we're trying to distract and deter attention away from how broken I am. And this is opposite from the call that Jesus gives us. You see, Jesus says to us, to come into the light. That's where he calls us. To come into the light. The light is a place where the truth of who we are is exposed. You see, that place is found before Jesus. Before who he is. I'm sure these men, they weren't comparing themselves to the holiness of God. They're comparing themselves to each other. And as long as we're comparing ourselves and our own righteousness to each other... We're going to feel pretty good about ourselves. That's one of the greatest reinforcers of self-righteousness. I'm not like them. Or I don't struggle with that sin. All right, I sin differently than you, therefore I'm better than you. That's legitimately the mindset here. But the truth of who we are is found in comparing ourselves to who God is. And when we come before God, you see the light shines. It exposes that there's nothing to hide he sees it all, and the truth is that we all have darkness in our lives. 
We've all been touched by sin. We all stand before God guilty. Every last one of these men could have been on the floor next to this woman, deserving judgment. Jesus, he tells them, he who's without sin, cast the first stone. And I love what it says here. It says that they started one by one, almost like I was at a wedding yesterday, almost like a procession of groomsmen and bridesmaids. They just start leaving one by one. They come to him in a crowd, and then just slowly but surely, the crowd begins to dwindle. It peels away. And an interesting insight here, it says that in verse 9, that they were convicted by their conscience. They, they knew. Come on, we all really know the things that we're hiding. We all really know the areas of our life that, we're, that we, we hide in the darkness, and they did. And they're convicted by their conscience, and it says this, that they went out one by one. This is really important. Notice this. Beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Beginning with the oldest. I think that's interesting. So in, in the line of conviction, the, the first ones to recognize that they have sin are the ones that have lived long enough to know that they're broken right? It's like the longer you live, I think when you're young, right, there's kind of this invincibility about you. Like you're not, maybe you're like, yeah, I need a savior, but there's a part of you that kind of feels like, um, I think I can do at least 10% of this Christian thing. Like I think I have enough in the tank. I know enough about the Bible. I've been raised in church enough to where I got this. And that's the mindset a lot of the times. Um, You just haven't failed enough yet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to realize that you need Jesus every step of the way. And so those who have lived long enough and they have a, a record of, of failure as human beings, they're like, yeah, I, I'm uh, 70 years old, 70 years of, of knowing this truth. I'm just going to walk away. And the younger ones slowly they go, oh yeah, I'm broken too. And they kind of follow the example of those that have been around long enough to recognize that they are broken before God. Uh, an interesting insight there. Um, the scriptures tell us, I'll close out with this, with this point, with this verse. In John 3, Jesus talks about this concept of light and dark. And he says, this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. But this is, this is the saddest thing that would keep you from all that God has for you and me. The tendency to love darkness rather than light. The preference to stay behind the spotlight of condemnation towards everyone else. Why? Because my, my deeds are evil and everyone practicing evil hates the light. We don't come to the light. Why? So that our deeds won't be exposed. There's this tendency, the darkness is so tempting because I can hide in the darkness. But though it might be exposed, though you might be exposed in the light, though who you really are is found in the light, we're going to see here that the light is the place of healing. The darkness tempts, but the light calls to come and be real about who you are before God. So that's what we see Jesus doing first. We see him uh, being this light of truth that exposes hypocrisy and brings conviction. But here's the next part of this, and this builds on this truth to where we get this good message of the gospel. The next thing we see from Jesus is we see a light of grace that pardons sin and brings freedom. A light of grace that pardons sin and brings freedom. Notice this. After walking away, Jesus raises himself up. He's the only one there. Notice that right before verse 10. Jesus was left alone and the woman was standing in the midst. And when Jesus raised himself up, and let's just point this out, Jesus is the only one there because he's the only one without sin, right? He's the only one who is worthy of executing judgment. 
Remember, uh, remember the story where the man is lowered through the, in, in Mark chapter 5, the, the man is lowered through the ceiling uh, to be healed. And Jesus, before healing the man, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus forgives his sin. People are like, who is this Joseph's son, the carpenter from Nazareth, blue-collar worker, he's forgiving people's sin? Like, you're forgiven. It's like, I mean, if I said that to you, I was like, you're forgiven. You'd be like, based on what, you know? <laughs> Thanks. But Jesus was able to say that because of who he was. He's the one that, he, he and he alone has the ability to execute judgment and give out the forgiveness of God. Can I say that we in and of ourselves, we're not Jesus. We don't have the right to go around determining who gets forgiveness and who gets condemnation. That's been settled once and for all through the cross of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus displayed, listen, that look, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's forgiveness. And, and let, let's look at this. This woman experiences this personally. I pray that you've experienced this. I pray, and you will, when you come out of the darkness into the light. I imagine this woman is here exposed before the Lord. And she's expecting maybe this light to burn her up. To judge her. To maybe kick her while she's down. That's what she's been used to. But I want you to notice this. He says to her, woman. Now stop there. Up until this point, nobody has addressed this woman. They've spoken about her, but they haven't spoken to her. Here's Jesus, and he looks right at her. He, He values her. He speaks to her. Woman, where are those accusers of yours? No one is here. No one's condemned you. Jesus said to her, notice this, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The one who had the right to execute condemnation, he pardons her sin. He pardons her sin. About uh, about a year later, this Jesus would go to a cross and he would take on this woman's sin. The sin of the whole world, the Bible says. Whatever that thing is that you've done, that you find yourself before Jesus guilty, in the light, it's who you really are. And come on, it's not just the thing you have done, it's all that you are, all of our brokenness, all of our sin. As we come before Jesus, as the light exposes who we really are, this Jesus doesn't bring to us a word of condemnation, he brings a word of pardon. What? I don't condemn you. Maybe you need to hear this right now. You are not condemned by Jesus. You're forgiven by Jesus. You're loved by Jesus. This is the light that he gives you. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world. We were condemned already. Sin has already set that up. Jesus came to pardon our sin. It's a light of grace that pardons sin. Grace, grace, this is everything. It's the most important thing that I'm always forgetting and constantly having to come back to. Grace. Remember, it's not what you've done for God to make him love you. It's what God has done for you to prove his love for you. It's grace. The the Bible says this, that where sin abounds in Christ, grace abounds much more. This is what we see here with Jesus. We see him pour out his grace. And this is all you can do, like this woman. All you can do when you encounter this Jesus is just receive he doesn't say to her, I want you to get up and I want you to go. He, he does say, go and sin no more. But his, he doesn't say, if you sin no more, then I'll really forgive you. 
He says, no, no, no. It's not sin. It's not um, be holy so that I can forgive you. It's you've been forgiven. Go and sin no more. It's, it's not something we earn. It's something we receive. Uh, it's, it's described in, in 1 Timothy. God's grace is described as this abundant waterfall. Paul says that God's grace has been poured out abundantly upon my life. Have you stood underneath the waterfall of God's grace and love that doesn't allow you for a minute to lift any effort to get his love, but just receives all that he is with no attempt to try to earn it? It's God's unmerited favor and love, and it pardons our sin. When we want to give all the things we're going to do to pay God back, God says, you don't need to do that. You can't do that. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. That's what the cross is all about. But I want, want to point this other truth out. It's grace that pardons sin, but that grace comes to us to then work itself in us and through us. He says, go and sin no more. The, the idea here is that grace is not just pardoning, but it's power. It's, it's not just the thing that says, hey, you got away with it. But now through the grace and the love of God, you're going to be transformed and no longer be bound by the things you used to be. Grace brings freedom. True freedom is only found in grace. And there's two sides of this. There's one side that is constantly trying to find freedom in rule keeping, right? That's trying to find freedom in being good enough. I can't do those things anymore. I got to try really hard. And, and that, only, that has a shelf life. It only lasts so long. And then there's the other extreme that in the name of grace just goes, I'm forgiven, I kind of do whatever I want, but you live a bound life. And yeah, you're forgiven, but what, what's the point in you being forgiven if you're still bound by the thing you've been forgiven by, forgiven for? See, the, the grace of Jesus is so much greater than all of that. It's a grace that both says, stop working, I've done it all, but it also produces transformation in our lives. I want you to see Titus chapter 2. And um, just for the sake of a bad joke, I want to say that this is the tightest book in all of the Bible. All right? Thank you. All right. If this, was, if this was Sunday morning, man, we would just be roaring laughing, wouldn't we? Or like, can you keep going, Andrew? Okay, fine. All right. Titus 2, 11 says this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. I love that. You go, not me, you too. All men. Notice this. Teaching us. Denying ungodly, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good work. So you see the way how grace is working out of a life? Like this is a life transformed by grace. Grace has come to me, but it's also teaching me to live different, to deny ungodliness, the power of the Spirit in my life to live righteously and soberly in this present age, looking for a greater hope than anything this world can give me because I'm being purified. I'm zealous now for new things. This is the effect of grace in a life. Grace that transforms. A grace that pardons sin and brings freedom. So we see Jesus first kind of exposing sin, the truth of sin, and then we see Jesus here after everybody's in that category, this woman before him, he extends grace and he, he leads her to freedom. Go and sin no more. No, don't go sin no more so that I'll love you, but, but go and sin no more because you don't have to. My grace can change your life. 
And lastly, here's the last thing. We see Jesus then display this light of life that leads the way and brings guidance. So after this woman is sent away by Jesus with this hope of freedom, verse 12 says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see, this is a trajectory that Jesus is describing here of a life that's been transformed by his love. This woman ends up being a follower of Jesus. There's no one else worth following now. He's done everything for her, and that's what Jesus is now inviting us into. There's there's this Jesus who exposes sin, this Jesus who pardons sin, and then this Jesus who's a light that invites us to do life with him. He, He says, come learn my way. Come follow me, he says. Now, this is the, 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 the consistent call of Jesus all throughout John. Come follow me. Come leave behind your own way of life and deny yourself, lay yourself down, and take up my way. I'll make, don't worry, I got the transformation part. I'm going to change you, but you follow me. You pursue me. And when you do that, notice what he says. You're going to be following a light. And when you're following me, he says, you won't walk in darkness. That's awesome. But you'll have the light of life. Like for right now, for today, for tomorrow, as we follow Jesus, darkness is going to constantly try to flood our hearts. Darkness is going to be surrounding us. But through Jesus, we have a light. We have a light to guide the way, lead the way, and bring Guidance. This is what the disciples experienced when they followed Jesus. Uh, they, they were taught his word. And that word was, just as the psalmist says, it is a lamp to our feet and it is a light to our path. It helps us navigate life. It's the word of God. This right here is the lamp. This is the light. There's going to be darkness. There is darkness. The question is, what is your source of light? Are you following Jesus? Here's what I had to ask myself and I had to admit this morning. Over the past week, I have been looking to all sorts of forms of alternative light. I have been consuming every news outlet that exists. I have read every new article trying to get more light and more insight And I just heard the Lord say to me this morning, Andrew, am I your light or not? Man, are we consuming the word of God? Are we getting to know him and what's true about him as much as we're getting to know what's true about this virus? You see, that's what's going to make us different as the people of God. We're not guided by everything else. We're not guided by the panic. We're not guided by the fear that rises. We're guided by the word of God. God says, take my word, okay? It's a lamp to your feet. It tells you how to live each step of the the day. We consume God's word. It reminds us of who he is. I know he's my light. He's my salvation. There's a lot happening. But when I consume that truth, I can walk in peace. And it's a lamp lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. That's one of the hardest things right now, I think, about what we're going through is the uncertainty about the future. And what the human tendency is to do when we have no control and no certainty 
is we, we settle for this illusion of control. We buy out as much toilet paper as we can. Stop it. Okay. We, we, we go crazy trying to, to, gain, to grab onto something. It's like I need some control. I need some certainty. I need some light. This is the light. This is what must guide our steps. You know, it's interesting. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you are the light of the world. Isn't that amazing? When we walk with Jesus, who is the light, you know what we become? Like him. We become a light to our neighbors. We become a light to each other. Instead of perpetuating the panic, we are proclaiming the promises of God. The future is uncertain according to man, but guess what? It is set in stone by God. Here's what we know about the present. Here's what we know about the future. Here's what we know about eternity past. God is sovereign, and we can follow him. We can trust him. We might not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future, and it is Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus is the light. I pray today that you would let the light of Jesus shine on you. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, this incredible verse, John says, darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining. Question is, are you letting it illuminate your life? Maybe there's some darkness that you've been hiding. And the way that you've been hiding is you, you find yourself standing behind the spotlight of condemnation drawing attention away from yourself. And let me say, that's not the place to live. Yeah, it, it, it hurts our pride to be vulnerable in the light. But that's the only way to experience the deeper healing that we really need. Because when we come before this Jesus with who we really are, we're not met with judgment. We're not met with the condemnation we deserve. We're met with unmerited favor. We're met with incredible love. He pardons us, and that pardon transforms us. It makes us different people who are now no longer following the words of man, the perspectives of the media, but we now are followers of Jesus. If you were here in person, I would ask you to say amen. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.